0: Guys at Grove Central, how are you guys doing today? Good. Are we good, a good start to a day. All right, well, hey, for you that are like, I'm not sure, after the message, you, after today's service, you're gonna be like, I'm sure, it's gonna be a great day. Um, welcome all those two in line, thanks for being with us. Uh, it's great to see new faces in Grove Central. And we're at 100% capacity, so we have room in full services if you guys want want to join us. Uh, no word on the theater yet, just you know, I'm just sending out emails, made phone calls, we're waiting to hear back when we can get back. So. Uh, They open. They're supposed to open middle of May, and then they're supposed to let us come in sometime after that. But until we get a contract and work through all that, we won't. We can't really use it yet, so we're waiting. But we'll keep doing stuff here. But until then, we want to start gearing up our G kids. And so, parents, if you have kids, start bringing them. We have. We've always had a little bit of a ministry in the back back room. Uh, but now we're month of May, we're going to start opening it up a little bigger, have some outside ministry for them. So uh, parents who are watching, you want your kids to come, we'll have something for your kids to come and join us, all right? Uh, next week would be a great week to start, so be with us. Awesome. All right, so today we're in part four of a series that's called Level Up. Really, the idea is this. In our lives, right? if I ask you a question, what level are you at? When it comes to your finances, are you like on level one still? Or are you like, I'm on level 300. It's awesome, right? Um, or are you like in your relationships, right? Maybe your marriage, you, you level like four or five. You've grown a little bit, you know? Um, Since so Terry and I are going to celebrate uh, a 19 years of marriage pretty soon. So we're like, I don't think, yeah, that's awesome. Is that considered like level 19 or is that like level 1900? I don't know. 1900? Yeah, you know, I'm trying to make a comparison, whatever. So, or maybe you're, maybe spiritually, you walk with God. Maybe you started the journey, but you kind of just always stay at level one. Well, this series is saying, let's, what it look like to go to the next level. And here's the truth. If you're going to get to the next level, any area of your life, it's going to start in your mind first. And so it's a series on mental health, a series on the mind. And so we're saying, if you're going to level up, it always has to start here first. And so this is week four, if you missed any weeks you can catch up. So I have, um, I have this cool little uh, tool, this little device in my hands. And you guys have these in your house, right? If you have one, probably have a newer, newer, some newer technology. But um, I, can, I can go to my this little device in my house, and it, it has a couple things. One, it tells me, like right now it says 75 degrees, which is, I don't know if that's, maybe my hands are just really hot, so it's picking up my hands. But uh, 75 degrees, it, it's, it's a uh, thermo- thermometer, so it's telling me like, exactly what the temperature is. But there's another function to it. I don't have to just leave it at 75. I can tell it what to do, right? I can go up 60, 76, 78, I can go higher or I can go lower, right? I can, I can change this. Well, interesting story. Recently, my wife and I were at a hotel, and the thermostat, the room was really cold. And she kept saying, it's really cold. Go change the thermostat. And so I'd go up and I'd push like, it like it – it said the temperature was like 70 degrees. And so I put the thermostat up to like 72, which should kick off, right? So it would kick off for a second, and then it would kick back on. And then it would get, still be cold, and I don't think it was even, the, even telling the right temperature. But it just kept kicking on doing its own thing, right? So I, I played with it a little bit. I put on the heat. It would work, but then it would start getting hot. And you're like, well, I'm going to get cold. So there was a malfunction in this thermostat. There was some kind of default setting that it just kept doing its own thing. Every so minutes, it would kick on and do its own thing. So it really wasn't working the way it was supposed to work. Well, in our lives, when I think of thermostat, we all, we all have this potential in our lives to be a thermostat in our world, in our environment. And the most important place you can be a thermostat is in your brain. You can control the atmosphere in your brain. No matter what's going on in the rest of the world, you can control what's going on in your brain. It's, it's the non-physical part in the brain in our mind. The mind is a non-physical part of us. It's a spiritual part of us that God created, right? So it talks to the brain, but it's our, the mind is where we're talking about how, how to be healthy, right? So, so if your default is negative in your life, good news, you don't have to stay negative. You can go to your brain and say, all right, brain, I no longer want to be negative. I'm going to change the atmosphere here. I'm going to stay there. I'm not going to stay there. I'm going to do something different. Right? It takes – and here's the interesting thing. It takes just as much energy to go up as to go down on the thermostat. It's going to take me a few seconds to walk to the wall and decide do I want a warmer room or do I want a cooler room. In your life, it's the same thing. It only takes a few seconds to decide am I going to be a negative person or am I going to be a positive person? Am I going to change the atmosphere or am I going to just read it and just be like everybody else? And this is what Paul talks about renewing our mind, which this series is about, is helping us to begin to think the right thoughts, to think the healthy thoughts. So neuroscientists, they'll tell us that we can change our thoughts every six seconds. We're bombarded by thoughts all the time and messages all the time, and they're constantly changing. And if we're not aware of them, those thoughts will actually change the atmosphere inside of your life. If you don't learn to pay attention to them, you can become sad and depressed and focusing on all the negative things. In fact, I'll, sometimes I'll talk to people and they're like, I hate my job. And they're like, well, how do you they'll tell me stories about it? And never, never, nothing ever works in their job. I think it's because their default is, is a negative mindset when they go to their job. So they're programming themselves to always look for the bad, always expect the bad. So what do you get? You always get the bad. So you have to learn to change that. So in our series, as we said, when it comes to the mindsets, when it comes to our minds, what you feed grows and what you starve will eventually die off. So what thoughts are you feeding those thoughts will grow, and what thoughts are you, are you beginning to starve off? They will actually die off. Because we said this, your life always moves in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Whether it's about your, about your school life, it's about marriage, it's about your home life, whatever, work, um, any finances, your life is going to move in the direction of your strongest thoughts in those areas. So we need to learn to say, how can we begin to control these thoughts? So last week, week three, I gave us a challenge called the God Box. Did anybody do the God Box? Anybody? All right. I see a couple hands. Awesome. Uh, one lady told me she had the God Box, and then she talked to some of her friends about the God Box, taught them what that meant, and said it was really helpful. Pretty cool. So the box I had, I actually gave it away last week. So I went home that night, and I made my own – a different God Box, but it was actually just a note on my phone that says God Box. That became my God Box, right? So it's the little note that just has it. Here's the thing. It's not where we put God in the box. It's where we put our our anxieties, our 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 needs – in that box, and we give it to God, right? Essentially, we're saying, God, I trust you with this. I know you can take care of these things. And we, we give Him the, the ability to help us in that, in that process. So, if you didn't catch last week or you didn't do a God box, I would encourage you you learn to begin to practice some of these things because they'll help you to always stop worrying and being anxious about these things because God wants to help us on this journey. Um, and we said this last week if your God is small, your problems are going to feel really, feel really big. But if your God is big, then there'll be no problem in your life that will ever compare to how big God is. And so, He invites us into this journey. So here's our theme verse for the for the series. It's found in Romans 12. Paul tells us this. In Romans 12, he says this. Um, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So God's good, pleasing, and perfect. If you don't know what God's will for your life is, it's good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. A lot of people don't ever find it because they don't do the first part. See, Paul says, don't conform to the patterns of the world. Don't, don't just be a... Uh, a thermostat wait a thermometer thermometer is the one that reads the temperature right don't just be a thermometer that just says hey here's what it is like i just i just go with my default just to read what the environment is i'm just gonna if it's negative i'm gonna be negative i'm just gonna go with it so saying don't conform to the pattern there is a pattern that our world has like some people tell me like marriage doesn't work it's just it's an antiquated idea it just doesn't work well yeah the way the world does marriage it doesn't work i agree because it's the pattern that we've sent that doesn't work here's why because all of us are selfish by nature and if we don't let God deal with our selfishness, that will always derail and mess up our relationships. And so when the world doesn't understand that, they'll get in a pattern of it's about me. It's about fulfilling my needs. It's about getting these ideas that the other person wants to make me happy and, and, and complete me. No, it doesn't. Only God can complete us in certain areas of our life. And so he's saying don't just conform. Don't just go with the flow. Don't just become a thermometer that just reads the temperature, but, but be transformed. Be a transformer, right? This is a therm- th- thermostat. Be that kind of person that says... I don't have to live in a negative environment. I'm going to change it. I don't have to think about that all the time. I'm going to change it. I'm going to do something different with the way I'm thinking. And he says when you do this, when you let God renew your mind, then you'll be able to, to test and approve what God going to do in your life, what his will is. And it's a good, it's a pleasing, it's a perfect will. So you've got to learn to trust him on this journey. Uh, one commentary, I love how he said it. He said it like this. If the world controls your thought, thinking, you are a conformer. You're just a thermometer. But if God controls your thinking, you are a transformer. You're a thermostat. So how many of you guys want to be a thermostat in your life, right, compared to as as, as just a thermometer, just reading the temperature? I think we'd all say, I want to get better in certain areas of my life. Well, here's the thing. You have to learn to begin to walk over to that thing in your mind and say, I'm not going to let that dictate how I feel. I'm not going to let that dictate what I do. I'm going to begin to move in the right direction. Because remember, your life will always move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. So the way you think about things is going to impact how you move forward with your life. And this is, this is really important. So Dr. Karen Leaf, I've been talking about her the last few weeks. She's a neuroscientist. She talked about how the way the, way the brain thinks. She says there's a really good a thing that, that predicts the success of people. In fact, she says, here's a her quote. She says this, the way you understand and use your mind is predictive of how successful you will be. So you don't know how successful you'll be in your relationships, it determines on how you understand and use your mind in that relationship. Let me give you an example. All right, any of you guys ever watch football? I know it's not football season, but it's going to come soon, right? So football, you, you you get these guys who are quarterbacks, right? And they're, they they get the ball, and they step back, and then as they're looking for to pass the ball, they hear this noise, right? Of do-do-do-do-do-do on the ground, they probably even feel it because that's a sound of a 352 pound man running at you at full speed. How many of you guys know what what comes after that sound? If they hit you, a lot, a lot of pain, right? You with me? So any wise person would be like, I'm out of here, right? Fear is going to take over. I'm going to run away. I'm going to do it. And most young quarterbacks, that's what they do. They get in the pocket and they hear – they freak out and they start running around everywhere, right? But the really good quarterbacks, they stay in that. They call the pocket, right? They hear the noise. They feel like – they wait, they wait, they wait, they wait, and then they throw the ball and then touchdown Super Bowl, right? So the really good ones, they've learned not to let their feelings control, but they've learned to say, I'm going to be in control. I'm not going to let my feelings lead. I'm going to let my actions lead, I'm in control of the way I think. And so in every area of our life, if you want to know how successful you'll we'll be, it's, it's are you going to let your feelings dictate everything you do? Or are you going to become a person that understands and uses your mind in a productive way in every area of your life? Because you win and you lose the battles in your mind. If you don't like school, I guarantee you, a lot of times it's because you have a negative mindset about it. And until you change that, you will not really be, be as successful as you could be because you'll have to change something in it. So Dr. Karen Leaf says – we tend to think it's 21 days to start or, start or break a habit. She says, actually, in your mind, it takes 63 days to change a thought, not 21 days. So three cycles of those 21 days. So if you have a negative thought that's been your whole life in town, you'll never be good at something. So it's kind of good and bad news. I mean, 21 days already sounds long. But if you'll stick with this and you replace that negative thought with something good after 63 days, you know it's going to be uh, – instead of the negative, it'll be a positive, whatever thought you've given it. Now, we can remove things, and we can put things in our mind, new thoughts, which is incredible how God made us. Well, Marcus Aurelius, he says this about our life. He says a man's life is what his thoughts make of it. A man's life is what his thoughts make of it. So that same quarterback, right? One quarterback, his thoughts, his, his emotions are going crazy, I guarantee, because he knows the pain that comes with it. Like, like I, one receiver, they asked him a question, like, Why do you, you have one job, just catch the ball. Why can't you catch the ball? He's like, well, you ever been tackled by a, a, a big man that's bigger than you that's running full speed? It's like there's a lot of pain there. And as soon as you hear those footsteps, it's a little hard to focus on just that one thing. You're now thinking about what could be. Well, a successful person, they've taken that potential for pain, and they've said, I'm going to calm myself down in the middle of it. Great athletes, right? I'm going to teach myself not to freak out. I'm going to stay calm in that moment so that I can, I can execute what I need to execute. Well, successful people, whatever situation they're in – They've learned to make of it what they want to make of it. You have two people in the same situation. One is saying this is the worst thing in the world. The other one's going to say, I think God can still do something through this. And some people will say, well, I've been through something really bad. How can God even use that? Well, the thing you went through, the thing you've overcome, might be that you can help somebody else overcome that thing. Why don't you use your life to make a difference in somebody else's life? Why don't you use your pain to bring maybe help, – help others avoid that same pain and that frustration? There's always something good that could come out of it if – will make of it. So he's saying, if you want to know what your life is, it's really what a person makes of it, the thoughts, the thought life that we speak and think of all the time. So Roman, and Paul tells us in Romans 12 too, let me read the message paraphrase. He says this, um, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you just fit into it without even thinking. So don't just go with the flow, right? Don't just be a, a thermometer, right? Instead, fix your attention on what God, on God, and then you'll be able to change from the inside out. You'll be able to walk to the wall in your brain and change that. That thought right you can you can do it and then he says this readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it unlike culture that's always dragging you down to its level of immaturity god brings the best out of you develops well-formed maturity in you so he's saying if you just go with culture you're always going to be drugged down to their level of what's comfortable for them and culture always settles for mediocrity It always settles for the average right that's what, that's what we get like, like the example of marriage it doesn't work. Well, it's because the average person doesn't know how to do marriage the way God designed it to be, so they struggle with it, right? So he's saying don't just be drugged down to the to level of immaturity, but let God bring out the best in you. It's always about responsibility and growing up, right? So God is leading us. So today I want to focus on this, on this one phrase up here that's really important. So he says readily recognize what God wants from you and quickly respond to it. Everybody say quickly. Quickly respond. Every say quickly respond. Everybody say I will. All right, so we're going to do this. I'm going to teach you guys how to do this. This is probably one of the most important keys when it comes to changing our lives, right? You have to quickly respond. You don't like the, the air just kicked on. It feels pretty good right now, right? So if I didn't want it to be cold, I would quickly respond by saying, I don't want this atmosphere. I don't want this negative thought. I'm going to go change it to something different. Quickly responds means you don't just think about it. You don't talk yourself into, out of it or into it. You just you just do it. You just go and you do it. So one neuroscientist, his name is Antonio Damasio, um, he says this about our lives and about our brain, all right? He says it's our feelings that decide for us 95% of the time. So 95% of the choices you make, it's your feelings that have decided that the, the outcome or, or the choice that you made. We tend to think it's logic. I'm a smart person. No, it's, it's what I think about that I decide. No, it's what you fill. Right? So it's not the logic that makes the decision. It's our feelings that make the decision. He says that, in fact, we are filling machines that think, not thinking machines that fill. And typically we're led, most people, the average person is led by their feelings to do these things. For example, let me give you an example, right? Um, if somebody says, hey, what do you want to eat? You don't process like, hmm, what vitamins am I lacking? You know, I really should eat something healthy, you know, down the long run. No. What do you think? Well, oh, what do I feel like eating, right? What do you feel like eating? And typically it's the unhealthy stuff because that usually tastes the best, right? It's the sugar. It's the, the carbs. It's, it's the fatty stuff, Right. And typically when somebody says, what do you want to eat? We don't think about what we want to eat. We say, what do I feel like eating? And we make that decision on what we feel like. That thing, same, thing, same thing applies to everything in our lives. It's typically when, when there's a, a choice in front of us, it's what do I feel like doing? Because nobody, most people, or somebody raise their hand, they do. But most people don't like to wake up in the, early in the morning to go exercise. They just don't feel like it. Why? Because my, my pillow feels a lot more comfortable than... The bike, right? My pillow feels a lot more comfortable than the sidewalk, running on the sidewalk. My pillow feels a lot more comfortable than putting these weights that's going to you know, make me super buff. But I would have to make a choice. We let the feelings dictate. So here's how this neuroscientist found this out. He, he, he did this study on these patients who had brain damage. And, and these people had no emotions. Because of the damage in the brain, they, they lost their ability to have some emotions in their life. And the, 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 um, the side effect of it is they couldn't make decisions. Like you could ask them about life and making choices, right? So their, their prefrontal cortex was, was damaged and hurt. They, they could they could logically figure out things. Like you would ask them, like what's important about things and what they should do. They can logically tell you what they should do, but when it was time to make a decision, they just they had to you had to make it for them. They couldn't do that. Different drugs do the same. They impact us the same way, right? They they slow our brain down in the front. We just can't think long term. This is why we have to be really careful sometimes of what we just go with culture thinking everything's okay. We're impacted and affected by this because our brain is impacted. And what he said is it's our feelings that actually lead us 95% of the time, not logic, not everything else. It's just what we feel like. So we have to be people that overcome that because here's, here's what's why. Our feelings are very subtle. So when you make a decision, your feelings and your brain, it, it makes it in, in just a few seconds, maybe even nanoseconds. You've already decided what you're going to do because of what you feel like or don't feel like. And that's the average person. We just let our feelings lead. And it's dangerous because most of the time, feelings won't lead us into anything good. They're going to lead us into what's comfortable. They're going to lead us into whatever we feel like right at the moment, not into what's important. So here's what we need to do we need to choose what we want and then let the feelings catch up eventually, because they will sometimes, right? Sometimes it's like, I have to eat this. It's not, but, but it's healthier, right? So eventually, you'll, you'll catch up. So choices lead, and then feelings follow. You, want to be the, you don't want to be the average person, let your feelings lead, and then your choices will eventually just make themselves. You want to be above average, you have to make the choice, and then let your feelings catch up with it eventually. So in our lives, the way this looks is, like I said, uh, uh, Carolyn Lee, she said our, we could change our thoughts every six seconds. So there's this uh, last week, one of, the, one of the guys in the church, he, at the message, he said, you know, your talk day reminded me of um, a, a video I watched. And so he sent me this video of this, name, this, this lady named Mel um, Robbins. And in this video, she tells her story about uh, she was in a really, you know, those where well, you have those seasons of life that just nothing goes right, everything's falling apart, right? So her husband has some companies they, they're about, they're on the verge of bankruptcy, um, her job she can't work because of different things, and she's kind of just she's drinking a lot at night and she's just really really depressed. So every morning the alarm goes off and what does she do? She hits snooze multiple times until finally she can't hit it because she has to get up because her kids have to get ready for school, things like that. So she gets in this pattern, right, of just. Of, of being depressed and not, not ever doing anything. And she knows it's not healthy. She knows it's not good, but she, that's the way she feels. So she's letting her feelings just kind of lead her life. And so one day, she's watching this TV show, and it's the rocket taking off. And you know, when the rockets are going to take off, you have the countdown. Five, four, three, two. Do it with me, right? Five, four, three, two, one. And what happens, the, the rocket just like takes off, right? Blast off, and it takes off. And she says, That's it. I'm gonna do that tomorrow. And she th- she thought had this thought and she said, That's really dumb. That's not gonna work. Like, why would I even think about that? So but she makes the commitment. Tomorrow morning, instead of in my snooze, as soon as my alarm goes off, I'm gonna do five, four, three, two, one, and I'm gonna jump up and blast off into the day. And you know what happens? She blasts off in her day and it worked. And then she said, the next day she didn't feel like getting up, but she told herself, Five Four, three two one and just go for it and do it. It's a pretty good talk. And so she talks about this five second rule. All right. And so the five second rule it's not like the one you drop food on, right? It's like Hey, it's five seconds. Pick it up and eat it, right? <laughs> not that five-second rule. This is a different one. This is a better one because that other one technically doesn't really work unless your house is really clean, right, and it's not really bad. But most of the time you don't want to eat this stuff. Okay, so five-second rule. She just says it's a way that she's going to beat anxiety. She's going to beat fear. She's going to overcome, take control of her life, and she uses this for everything. Eventually, she develops it and begins to teach it as a, as a, a way of, of – and she learns that our brains are actually wired this way. So she says, you can't do one, two, three, four, five blast off because what happens after five is six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And if you're trying to talk yourself into something, most likely you're going to talk yourself into something or out of yourself, talk yourself out of something within those five seconds. Some of us, we actually need to do three, two, one and go because if we wait too long, it's going to actually cause us to talk ourselves out of it. Why? Because of fear, because of emotions, right? It's like the quarterback in the pocket. It's like five, four, three, two, one, just stay, just stay, just stay, right? We have to talk ourselves because we know that there's potentials, and our brain will, it'll trick us in the saying, and our emotions will trick us into saying, if you don't do, if you do that, you're gonna get hurt. You know, you should, you should be afraid, you should be very afraid. And so, um, she, she, she teaches this thing: five, four, three, two, one, and then do it, and, and then just do whatever you're supposed to do, and it, it'll help you move forward. So, I remember when I was a sophomore in high school, uh, my friends and I, there was, was two brothers, we went out to Cochi Lake and. Um, we went out there to go do some cliff jumping, and there's the different levels of, of cliffs you can jump into the lake, and so uh, we found these little spots, it's kind of low, and we'd jump in, it was pretty nice, and then we'd go to the top, with the really, really big cliff, right, so it's really, really big, and so the first day we went, we jumped in the small ones, and it was not, it was, it was a lot of fun, and then, so we went to the top one, and we'd get to the edge, and we'd get little rocks, and we'd throw the rocks, and we'd count, one, two, three, four, five, six, and then still counting, still counting, still counting, and then, splash and you're like oh my goodness that's so far down there so then we'd walk down there and we'd dive down and make sure there was nothing that we're going to hit we'd check it out the water right um and so we do this the whole day and the whole day we'd go to the top and be like all right, you go no you go no you go and so we didn't jump the first day so that next day we came back and said, let's go again so we go back the second day and they said this time let's not go to the lower cliff let's just go to the top and let's just jump so we go to the top and we're there and my two friends their brothers that they're there and they're getting there and like you go no you go you know we were there for an hour of you go, you go, you go, right? So I was like, guys, just one of you go. And they're like, what, you think you're so brave? Why don't you go? So I, in that moment, I didn't count down, but I essentially said, five, four, three, two, one, okay, let's do this. And I just said, all right. I didn't think about it. I just got to the edge and just jumped, right? And for the first two days, we're thinking, like, I don't want to be first because I don't want to be the first to die, right? Like, <laughs> you should die first. But in that moment, I just said, I'm not going to let the fear, I'm not going to let this, this – what if, what if, what if, and talk myself? Because if I do that, if I go to the edge and just like stand like, maybe, maybe this is a good idea, maybe it's a bad idea, I don't know what. I just went for it. And as I'm preparing this message, I begin to think of these different moments in my life that I did things that were, I guess in some ways I told myself would be foolish or others might think I'm dumb or weird. but I just did it. I remember in um, one service, and I was very young, and, and the pastor, was, I was in church service, and the pastor was speaking. And he, like, in the middle of his message, he says, you know what, I'm going to stop my message because I think there's somebody here that needs to make make things right with god like you're not living for god you're and he kind of gives a spill right like like giving up being obedient and giving our life to god and my heart starts pounding and i almost feel like god's saying he's talking about you eric you need to go do this and he says I want, I want you to come forward i'm going to pray for you and i'm thinking like my heart's beating i'm like i think this is supposed to be me but i don't want to be the first one is somebody else what if i'm the only one what if nobody whatever laughs and instead of just talking myself out of it essentially i just said just go and i and i stood up and i walked to the front and I pushed myself to that fear, and I remember thinking like at, after it, it was like it was the best thing I could have done because it caused me to be brave, and it caused me to just do something different. Another time I was at, I was at a camp, and uh, I was young, and I remember all these, these kids, and, and music's going. The, the service is going, right, and we're singing songs. And in this moment, I felt like, Eric, you should like raise your hands and maybe even kneel down. And I talked to myself like, that's kind of weird. Like people are going to think you're crazy, raising your hand and kneeling down. That's just really weird, Right. And then I almost feel like God has a conversation with me like, well, are you worshiping me or are you worshiping them? Because if you're letting them dictate, you're really not engaged in worship. And that moment I says, no, I'm, I'm all in. And I remember I did that. I just raised my hand and said, you know what? It doesn't matter whatever else I do. Now I'm going to do what I think you're leading me to do. And over and over I kept looking at these opportunities that came my way that I was kind of afraid of. But I just, I just did it. Just, just went for it, right? And here's the thing. This is the key to unlocking our potential in every area of life. It's, it's that, that courage, it's that five-second courage to say, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, just go for it. It's to, to fill out that application. It's to make that phone call. It's to just do what you've always wanted to do, but you're not doing it. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, blast off. Let's just go for it. Let's just do it. It's the ability right, for us to say, I'm going to separate the feelings from the action I'm supposed to take. I'm just going to go for it. I'm, I'm going to do the right thing. right? And so um, we we need to do this. So Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10:13. this is what he says about... Things that we face in life. He says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. So in our life, the choice we make, some are negative choices, some are positive choices. Some are just choices. They're neutral. But a lot of times, we're going to be faced with things. And we tend to, our brain and even the enemy will tend tend to tell us you're different, you're unique. Nobody else has experienced this. Nobody else feels what you feel. And he says, no, the temptations in your life, the things that you face, they're not unique. They're not different from what others have experienced in history. Even if you seek out, you'll find other people that have gone over things right? Whether it's an addiction, like there's people in our church that can help you overcome different addictions because they've overcome them, right? He's saying that temptation, others have gone through it. And just so you know, God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted more than you can stand. So have you ever had a temptation? God has actually allowed you to go through some things because he knows that if you stand under it, you'll get stronger. It's a weight that is making you stronger. And he never gives you anything that you cannot stand up under. He loves us that much. He says, I'm not going to give you something that crushes you. I'll give you enough to strengthen you. I'll give you enough t- to help you on this journey. And he says, and by the way, when he does this, when you are tempted, he will always show you a way out so you can endure. I've escaped many temptations because God has intervened in some it's, – sometimes it's really weird. Like I have a decision to make, and then like the phone rings all of a sudden. You're like, huh, that's interesting. Or I have a decision to make, and somebody says something out of the blue. Like, hey, you think about this? And it's kind of like God trying to get my attention. It's like that five-second thing. Like, hey, pay attention. Because if you let your feelings lead, you're going to maybe potentially do the wrong thing that's going to lead to negative outcomes. But learn to do the right thing. It's controlling our mouth, right, when we're in conversations. It's saying, I- I'm going to fight 4, through 2 and do the right thing, not the wrong thing. And, and so he's in, in ch- telling us when we face something, God will always give us a way out. He'll be in that m- moment if we will act immediately. if We'll quickly respond to what he's asking us to do. Elizabeth Elliott, who's a pastor, uh, she's a, a wife of a missionary. Uh, her husband went down. South America, and these Indians, a pretty brutal tribe, they killed her husband, and then she went back, and she still spread the gospel and and led a lot of them to Christ. In fact, the one that killed her husband, she led him to Christ. pretty interesting story. She has a statement. She says this. If we examine our consciences deliberately and clearly, and in the presence of God, I think we're going to find out that a whole lot of what we call struggling is delayed obedience. So a lot of times, the things that we struggle in life with if we're honest with ourselves, it's really we, – we, we know the right thing to do. We, we really know what God wants us to do, but we delay obeying. And the key is we can't delay obedience. We always have to be immediate. To, it's got to be immediate obedience. We have to act quickly. We have to respond quickly to what God is asking us to do because when we don't, we'll always find struggle. And, and delayed obedience is different than disobedience. Disobedience is saying I know what you want. I'm going to do whatever I want anyways. Delayed obedience is saying I'm going to let fear tell me that I should – I should slow down and be careful. I'm going to let fear dictate what's going to happen. So Paul says when this happens in 2 Corinthians 10.5, he says, we must demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So essentially saying there's this battle going on. It's an unseen battle. It's a spiritual battle. And those thoughts, those things of pride, those things of arrogance, those different things that come our way, we need to actually use the weapons God gives us, it's a spiritual weapon like prayer, to demolish those things. In fact, he says, we need to take captive every thought and then make it obedient to Christ. What does that mean? That means when a negative thought comes in your mind, you don't just let it run wild. You say, wait, I'm going to hold on to that thought, and I'm going to ask God, what do you think about this? So the enemy is telling me I'm a loser. What do you think? Oh, you created me for purpose? The enemy or my, my past is telling me I'll never be good at this. What are you saying? With enough work, I can overcome this? Okay. And we take that captive that thought, and we make it obedient to the word, to what God is saying. We become that person that goes to our mind and says, no, no, I'm not going to just let that thought run wild in my mind. I'm going to say, stop, 5, four, three, 2, 1. What's the new thought? What's God saying about this? And he's saying that's what, that's what it means to take every, cap, every thought captive as we walk to the thermostat and we say, no, not today. That might have been true back in the day. That might not have ever been true, but today I'm not going to believe that, and we change it. So let me give you a story of a man who had a decision to make, um, and, and, and uh, the outcome is going to be really, really important. It's found in the Bible and in the book of Acts. So I talked about Paul I think last week and the week before. Um, who was used by God in incredible ways. He wrote most of the New Testament, uh, just an incredible uh, uh, follower of Jesus. Well, Paul, um, he has this, his story didn't start the best. His story, like if, you didn't, if there's a time in your life you don't like Christians, you would like Paul because he, he hated them so much he would have them in prison and even killed. Um, and so he's on a journey to go kill some more uh, Christians in Damascus. He has this experience that God shows up and, and, and his whole party, this light from heaven shines down. The guys hear the voice, but they don't see it. And and the voice talks to to, to Paul, and he says, Why are you persecuting me? And he says, Who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting me. And then then it says that he's blinded, and he says, Go to the city, and I'll tell you what to do next. So he goes to Damascus, and he's just waiting. It says, For three days, he doesn't eat, um, and he's not eating or drinking, so he's he's fasting, and he's probably freaking out. And in this time, um, he begins to talk to this Jesus follower named Ananias. It says this that in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, he said, "Yes, Lord." Ananias answered, and the Lord told him, "Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask him. Ask for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying." So Paul's like, okay, he, he's blind, he can't see, he hasn't eaten, he had this experience where he met Jesus on this road, right? And he's kind of like, what in the world? I was trying to kill the, the people that follow this guy. Now he's want, he's trying to talk to me. This is crazy. And so he says in this, and he tells him, Ananias, in a vision. He has seen a man named Ananias. <laughs> so he's like, he's actually seen you in this vision. And in this vision, he, you come and place your hands on him and you restore his sight. So he's blinded. You're going to do this. And Ananias says, but Lord, right? Um, I have heard many reports about this man and they're not good at all. All the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem, like he's, he's terrorizing them. It's not good. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. So now Ananias is saying, uh, time out. Are you sure about this? Right. It's that quarterback. Like, are you sure this could be a really big guy that's going to not just tackle me, but kill me? I don't know if I want to do this. But the Lord said, Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer in my name. And then it says, then, 5, 4, three, two, one, Ananias went to the house and entered it. He acted. So imagine this story. It might be a little different. What if Ananias didn't do the then? What if he didn't do the 5431 but just said, Yeah, I don't think I want to do that? I guarantee it wouldn't be Ananias. It'd be somebody else's name because God would use somebody else. But Ananias, he acted quickly and responded quickly. Even though I'm sure there was some doubt, some fear, he said, God, if you're asking me, I'm going to go forward. I'm going to do it. And so he goes and he's placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me. So that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And then Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And then at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. At once. So Ananias is... Quick response and immediate obedience. His 5431 translated into Paul's quick obedience and began this journey. Paul wasn't ready. He was just the enemy. Now he's the, the number one voice, right? And it says that all those who heard him were astonished and asked, huh, Isn't this the guy who was uh, raising havoc in Jerusalem and along, among those who called on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. So Paul didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And Now after this encounter he believes he's the Messiah and now he's going to go take it out and, and help others. So eventually Paul, he most likely had two names, Saul and Paul. Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul would be his Roman name. But we call him Paul, the Apostle Paul. And this is his story. But Ananias had a role to play in his story. And then Paul had to make a decision. Am I going to now do what God is asking me to do? Here's the thing. In our lives every single day, I believe every single day, God is wanting us to do things and accomplish things. But we let our feelings talk us out of those things. We let the emotions and the fear and the what-ifs talk us out of those things. And God is saying, five, four, three, two, one. just go for it. Just trust me on this journey. The sooner you do it, the sooner you'll experience all the things I have for you. Let me just help you on this journey. There's an author, author, her name is Margaret Fenberg. She says this. She said, God is constantly on the move. So God is always on the move in your life. He wants to be moving. I cannot stay where I am and follow God at the same time. Responding requires movement. See, if you're a Jesus follower and you want to just be comfortable, you're actually not going to be able to follow where God wants you to go. You'll stay on level one the whole time because God is not at level one all the time. He wants you to get level one, but he eventually wants you to get level two. He wants you to improve and continue on, but that takes movement. That takes us saying, whatever you're asking me to do, I'm going to take that next step, and I'm going to do it. And whatever he puts in front of us it's always to develop us and help us on this journey to know him more. So he's always on the move. And if you want to follow him, it means you can't stay still, but you have to keep moving forward. That means you have to let God keep working in your life. You have to be a thermostat, not a thermometer, not just reading the environment, but doing something with it. So this last uh, week, we went to Albuquerque, our students, and um, my wife's going to help me in a second. I, I, I thought about this. So uh, so fine arts, what fine arts is, Is it's a... It's a a place where the students can to develop, discover, develop, and deploy the, the gifts that they have in their life, like art, like uh, painting, uh, drawing, poetry, um, music, um, different things like that. It's in a category called short sermon. So I went to evaluate. I was one of the evaluators for the short sermon. So there's these, these – Middle, high, middle school and high school students who get up in front of these evaluators and in front of their peers and they show some of the showcase some of the things that they've been working on. So they do these things. It's so like I had a 12 year old uh, uh, young kid who got up and did a short sermon. They had five minutes, he only took three, but. Um, that, that's good, and he, and he did this little message, right, about the Bible and what Jesus is teaching him and stuff. It's pretty cool. So I just thought, how much courage it takes for those kids to get up there and just do this. Well, we had some students. This is the first time our, our the Grove ever participated in Fine Arts, and uh, we had we had four that participated, and out of the four, um, they all got really good scores. So two of them, um, two sisters, they were really close to going to the next round, and so they got an excellent um, certificate. In fact, we have it. So Lily and Kayla Dutton, uh, they're not here, are they? No. All right. Celebrate them. So Lily and Kayla, good job. We're proud of you guys. Thanks for putting yourself out there. It takes a lot of courage. Thank you for doing that. And then we have another two that um, uh, entered, entered into some different categories. And so Sophia and Adrian, would you guys come up here? We want to celebrate you guys. Yeah.